Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, as you may have seen, uh, the police in Germany uh, recently made a series of arrests of a group who were planning to stage a coup in the country. In many parts of the world, a coup is still a popular way to seize power. Graham Finley has been looking at some of them for us. Afternoon, Graham. Afternoon. Uh, the people in Germany who were... One of them was a prince. Was yeah, he an the, actual the prince? prince? No, he's an actual prince. I mean, one of the great things about the relatively late unification of Germany in the 19th century is they have a lot of princes running around. I mean, oh. if you look at Germany before then, you know, there are all these little statelets, uh, you know, which had princes or even prince bishops running them. And uh, and so there's plenty of these people around. This is a particularly weird family in that all the males seem to be named Heinrich. Okay. And they always have a number after name. So Heinrich the Heinrich 13, who confusingly is junior or at least not in power or running the, the family, unlike Heinrich uh, 14, right, uh, is was, was the prince who they were going to make the monarch of, of Germany. Um, and uh, it didn't work, which is good. Yes. Maybe. And it, <laughs> it's, it's in the classic. Uh, now, I mean, I don't know whether to take it seriously or not, because they only mm. they went to 150 locations, but they only managed to arrest 25 people. And they had lots and lots of, you know, agents on this. So so either it was very small, but it was relatively well connected. Um, and this is both in a great German tradition of reactionary movements or some, you know, highly conservative subgroup trying to take over so much that they have a word for it called the putsch. And you may remember the yes, beer hall putsch, putsch as yeah. mounted by, by Adolf Hitler um, unsuccessfully, uh, but he kept trying. Um, and... Uh, so, but there also is this very disturbing penetration and involvement of uh, elite German um, armed forces units and, or at least individuals in them, mm. and police. Even in this, you know, those twenty-five people include ex-military, ex-police, and an, a serving member of of, of Germans, uh, Germany's uh, elite special forces. And, and there is a really big problem in Germany of um, both military, but as, and, and police. Hoarding weapons and plotting these kinds of coups and having extreme right-wing ideology, which often overlaps into neo-Nazi ideology. And there have been a number of times where they've, they've sort of gone and arrested a bunch of people who were hoarding, as was this group, weapons which they got through the military. Yeah. What, and what, what was it they – what do they want, these groups, if they were to have a successful coup? Well, this particular group seems to be a German version of the free man I, – I guess I could say free persons on the land, but it's a pretty masculinist crowd uh, – the free men on the land ideology, which we may have even talked about before. These are people who believe that the state is completely illegitimate. So you don't have to pay your taxes, tax your car, or, or respond to the police's commands. Uh, and – this Reichsburger movement in Germany um, is something like that, but it's also tied to the idea that the only legitimate German state uh, disappeared with the fall of the Reich, you know, the Kaiser's Reich, uh-huh. you know, uh, and every all these post-war, you know, liberal democratic German uh, state are just illegitimate. And accordingly, you don't have to do what they say and certainly don't have to pay them any taxes. Right. Okay. That's a, that, yeah, that seems to happen in so many countries. That I, you know, we don't recognize this particular sure. regime. Well, just they the one are, before last. People have observed the Germans are particularly vulnerable to conspiracy theories among liberal democratic oh. nations in Europe. Uh, and, you know, I think there's the reactionary side of this, which is different from the sort of yeehaw, gun-toting, free men on the land, US version, is that they want to go back to this sort of 
hierarchical and ideally sort of maybe aristocratic or even medieval past, right? You know, mm. back when Germany had an empire and aristocrats in charge. And I think that is a sort of interesting niche political philosophy, uh, which which has gained some traction in a lot of different different cultures um, or different different societies. This sort of neo-reactionary movement, which wants to get back to a, a whole political theory and way of life, which is explicitly hierarchical and, uh, you know, keeps women down and, and just about everything else, you know, back to the good old Middle Ages days. Right. right. OK, well, I mean, in a, in a, I suppose that there are movements in most of the developed world and in individual countries, but there is that somewhat harking back to a, a nostalgia for an imagined past, which may or may not have existed at all. But it, it seems to have been better then. Yeah, I mean, and again, these people usually weren't there. (laughs) But they knew people like them were on top. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, They weren't there. There's uh, no doubt about that. So, like, uh, are there there parts in the world? I mean, I suppose in, 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 um, this is a terrible generalization, but in in the less developed world, there, there still seems to be, one gets the impression, a lot of coups. Yeah, sure. The coup in Germany is unusual because... Coups don't happen in Germany much lately. Yeah. They don't, they don't tend to happen in wealthy countries. They don't happen, tend to happen in countries which are either fully authoritarian and have a really elaborately developed maybe state, authoritarian state. Those states are usually quite resilient and powerful and resist coups. You need something a little more than that. Um, and they don't tend to happen in democracies, uh, especially wealthy democracies, uh, where, again, you have power distributed better through society. So they tend to happen in, in societies which are partly authoritarian and partly democratic, you know, somewhere in the middle. Mm. Um, they tend to happen in um, poorer societies, but they also tend to happen in societies which have a history of coups. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> and, and some countries are particularly vulnerable to coups. I mean, it's the greatest predictor of whether there might be a coup in your country is have there been a lot of coups in your country? Because it just seems kind of normal. And if you look at countries which have a lot of coups, um, like Turkey, although slightly less lately, although I'd like to talk about the 2016 one because that was, that was exciting times. But like Thailand, you might not think of as a place which has a lot of coups, but Thailand has some of the most coups um, of any country on earth. And so these the countries which have a lot of coups are distributed from Latin America, Bolivia um, uh, has a lot of coups. Chile has had a lot of coups, not lately, happily. Uh, Haiti has a lot of coups and may be destined for some kind of change of government insofar as it has mm. a government right now. Uh, but Thailand and Sudan um, in, in sub-Saharan Africa have both had a lot of uh, coups. In Thailand and Turkey, they... Uh, have a sort of a coup season, even, you know, like when's a good time to launch a coup, right? I think in Turkey, it's sometimes around September. That's, that's, you know, okay. So people were surprised by the 2016 Turkish coup because, you know, it wasn't the right time. They were, they were cheating and, and having the wrong time in June. <laughs> the element of surprise. And, yeah. and in Thailand is really interesting because they have the, 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 the king, right, who you cannot say anything bad about. Um, and I'm, I'm not certainly going to start here. Uh, but you want to have this incredibly polarized politics beneath the king, uh, who, uh, where the military really does feel free to step in to secure order or to, to keep people from being naughty but, at a moment's notice. Really. Yeah, but, but that seems to be the thing in a lot of countries where there tend to be a lot of coups. It's more, they tend to come from the military because I suppose they've got the, you know, they've got all, all the organization in place already. Yeah, I and mean, this is sort of the central paradox of having a military. If you're going to give all sorts of weapons to these guys over here, and yet you want civilian control of the military, I mean, that's a real achievement, and we should be grateful in societies mm, yeah. that, that have it. Uh, so almost all, many of the causes of coups come from often perhaps minor dissatisfactions the military might have. Like they might feel slighted in terms of their importance. Respecting the military or disrespecting the military can be enough for them to launch a coup. You can have divisions in the military where some 
worry that the other ones are, are plotting to push them out, right? Or even after a coup, if there's excessive repression of, unsuccessful or successful, if there's excessive repression of those members of the military who either didn't go along with the coup or did go along with the coup, they can often launch a coup just to because they feel like they're next, right? <laughs> so there are many, many ways in which the military can find itself deciding that they would do a better job of governing than the, the duly elected, um, if in fact that's how they, they got into power, <laughs> uh, officials. And, and, and again, you see this in places like uh, there's been a whole string of coups over the last two or three years across the Sahel, which is that sort of area south of the Sahara, northern, mm. you know, the southern half of the Sahara. All these countries, again, including Sudan, but maybe most especially Burkina Faso, which has had a lot of coups, where you have environmental degradation and, and serious drought and, and, and um, threat of starvation, but also, you know, a real history of coups. Uh, Burkina Faso had a coup not so long ago, just a few weeks ago, um, which was quite popular because it replaced, um, it was because the, the current government, which had been placed in, put in place with a coup in January, you know, it's hard to keep up, hadn't been doing very well with the Islamist insurgency there. And so they, in a relatively popular coup in November, um, there was yet another change of, of general at the top of, at the top of uh, society. And, and again, I think it's important. These are often quite popular. Like, you know, this mm. Burkina Faso coup was relatively popular because, yeah, the, the general in charge wasn't doing a great job. Yeah. Well, then, do coups ever end well in the sense of, uh, you know, a change is affected in a country, but that change lasts? I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. So, I mean, you, you come up against this, is democracy always preferable? And, and mm. one way to look at coups is besides seeing them as very dangerous and, and not the way you choose to change governments, as, you know, potentially good. And, and, and I guess a lot of people would say, you know, this is what self-determination looks like. It's not just us having regular elections with multiple parties and, you know, a free press and, and you know, newspapers which tell you the truth. You know, sometimes it's, you know, I like this general better than that general. You know, it could be seen as the self-determination of peoples. Uh, Flight Lieutenant Jerry Rawlings was a really good example of a sort of benevolent dictator who um, seized power in Ghana, ruled for decades, and and really did seem to try to 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 make a good job of it. And you know, was prepared to give over power to a democratic. Uh, assembly mm. at the end of it, but it took him quite a lot of ruling to get to that point. So, so was his rule legitimate or not? I think is an interesting question. Um, it, another interesting thing is during the Cold War, only twelve percent of coups led to a democratic government, whereas after the Cold War, about forty percent of, of coups eventually lead to a democratic government. And that's because in, during the Cold War, the two superpowers just didn't really much care who was in charge as long as they were on their side. Yes, right. Whereas post Cold War in in, in this sort of new liberal order, which hasn't completely gone away, no matter how much it's been tested, there are more. There's more of a focus on democracy and human rights as things which countries should live up to, and then there's more wide sanctions coming from um, the great powers, whether it's through um, aid, you know, cutting it off, right, mm. uh, development aid. Or whether it's through pressure you put on them, either as a as a superpower, or the pressure which is put on uh, would be coup attempters, right, or post coup states by regional organizations. So the African Union uh, and the Economic Community of West African States, you know, for example, have really taken a lot of of the burden on of trying to resist coups and prevent them. And, and you see that with regional organizations around the world. So. Things may have never, you know, there are fewer coups going on right now and hopefully better quality coups. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but, but generally, they come from inside because, for instance, in 
you know, the, when the Shah was installed in Iran, was that technically a coup at all, given no. that the FBA... <laughs> Sure, or the CIA I'm, paid for it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the influence of the United States of America and of Russia, but especially the United States of America, is is really behind a lot of the the many coups we see in Latin America, uh, and uh, to a lesser degree in Sub-Saharan Africa, and and also in the Middle East, as you say. I mean, again, was the Iranian revolution, you know, a revolution was a revolution. And the difference between a coup and a revolution is that involves mass mobilization. Right? Mm. So if you lose power because of a civil war, that involves a mass mobilization, not a coup. But yeah, I mean, certainly various coups yeah, against elected officials have been promoted by CIA. Iran is a very, very good example. Uh, again, Salvador Allende in Chile is kind of one of the benchmark coups mm. for that kind of thing. Um, the U.S. didn't directly instigate the coup, unlike, say, in Iran, where they had a much bigger hand. But they certainly, and Kissinger said this, and he's still around people, in case you're wondering, um, that they certainly created all the conditions. And they started on a coup against Salvador Allende, the, the leftist president of Chile, who was um, had his palace surrounded, was uh, ousted in a coup and uh, uh, seems to have committed suicide, even though there's a whole bunch of controversy surrounding that. They've done various forensic reports, which does seem like he, he, he said in his last speech from the palace as he was being, as it was surrounded, that he wasn't going to allow himself to be the prize of whatever, whatever junta came in into mm. power afterwards. So, um, and that ushered in not only just the Pinochet dictatorship, but also the neoliberal economics and the extreme sort of libertarian shock treatment, which, uh, which Chile was the first to experiment for. So, you know, America got its its money's worth out of that one, even if they didn't drive the tanks themselves. Graham, thanks a million. As ever, Graham Finley there. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.